Hello all, and thank you for listening to the Talk Business With Me podcast. Today's episode starts Columbia Sportswear Senior Manager of Global Customs and Trade, Emily Veda. Emily walks us through how she got to where she is today at Columbia and provides advice for those wanting to walk in her footsteps. Keep listening to hear more about Emily and her professional career. Hello, everybody. Welcome back here. Um, we have with us Emily. Emily, if you will want to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thanks for having me. My name is Emily Vita. I'm a senior manager of global customs and trade at Columbia Sportswear. I've been there for about seven and a half years, and uh, you know I've been in the outdoor and apparel industry for I just calculated it today, seventeen years, <laughs> which seems pretty crazy. So um, I'm just really happy to be here. I love Portland State University, and I'm really passionate about the AO program. So. I'm really happy to talk to you ladies today. Awesome. So I guess um, a start off question for you is just how did you come to be in your current position? Like, were there some certain things like you did? Um, like, how did you come to be there? Right. So uh, I'll take it back to my undergraduate. When I was in undergrad in the early 2000s, I thought I was going to work for the UN. I wanted to do development work you know, live abroad, you know, I've always kind of had an international, like the a passion for travel and just like international affairs. I, and I spent a year in India actually after I graduated from college and then I realized that you have to volunteer for many years before getting those cush jobs at the UN or Mercy Corps. And I needed, you know, I don't come from money. So I had to find a job quick and I didn't take any business classes in my undergraduate, but um, I just found like the first job I could down in Corvallis where I'm from and it ended up being an export company. So they just exported scrap metals to China. And that was my first kind of view into international commerce. I just hadn't really given it much thought before. Again, I didn't take that many business, like business minded classes in college, and I didn't know anything about international logistics or trade. And so that was my first kind of glimpse into it. Um, and then when I decided to move up to Portland, I found a job at a Japanese trading company that has spent decades working with local apparel companies to, to move their goods around the world. So that's when I really started to learn more about customs, international trade, things like that. And I started working with small apparel companies, you know, in the Northwest and actually in the Rockies um, to, you know, optimize how they got their goods into the U.S., which is really, really kind of my first foray into the outdoor industry specifically. Um, so that kind of started my passion. I just, you know, started networking and it's actually a very small group of people here in the port in Portland in the Northwest who do international trade and, and logistics. And so that's kind of when I started building my network of, of people. And, you know, I moved overseas for a couple of years, kind of in between, you know, my job at that Japanese company. And then um, starting at Keen Footwear, I started at Keen while I was in graduate school at PSU. Actually, I did the Masters of International Management. That's when I kind of got my business chops you know, and really kind of learn more about um, global business. And yeah, so it's 
spent a few years at Keene before jumping over to Columbia. And I, you know, started at kind of like a low mid entry level position just to get my foot in the door. And it's just kind of built from there. And I really love it. I really love what I do. So, so it kind of sounds like you kind of like stumbled across this, yeah, this career path kind of led you down it. That's kind of cool. Honestly, I, I, um, I feel like I kind of stumbled across business when I was, um, when I went to PSU, because I actually came in as a chemistry and criminology major and changed my major after the very first day of school, because I knew right off the bat that that was not what I wanted to do. And I stumbled across business and I'm pretty glad that I did, but yeah, I think we would love to hear about what you do today and how this journey and your experience has led you to this passion that of a job you're in currently. Yeah. So first of all, I didn't know what supply chain was when I went to college and after. So I, yeah, I did stumble into it. And, you know, I said, you know, I'm in, involved in international customs and trade. That is something that is really hard to study. It is definitely learned on the job. And especially when I started my career, it's something that you just start learning on the job. You learn from the other people around you and the network. Like I said, there's a really kind of tight knit network of people here in Portland um, that you kind of learn from. Um, so right now I'm, I have a team of eight people. This is, this is a pretty new thing for me to have a a big team, but I have a team of eight people and we help to, you know, move our goods around the world. Anytime something is shipped into a country from another country, there's a border crossing. There's a customs transaction that has to happen. Um, we have to know, our product in and out. We have to really understand what types of innovations our company is using. Um, We have to understand a lot about our financial structures. So there's so much that kind of goes into a customs department. Um, But yeah, we just basically try to pay the least amount of duty possible by working with um, our design development and sourcing teams for free trade agreement opportunities, you know, optimizing the product for duty savings. Um, I could go on about duty (laughs) Uh, in the apparel industry for a long time. It's a pretty big cost for us. Um, And then we have to be compliant. There's a lot of rules that you have to follow as an importer. So we have many different compliance programs and, um, you know, security programs that we have in place to make sure that we're as compliant as we can be. So there's kind of a lot that goes into to the customs team. So, you know, I'm helping my team to, you know, get the resources they need to do their job the most efficiently as they can. And then I have a lot of kind of strategic conversations that I have with, again, you know, our sourcing teams and other groups within the company that, that we partner with to make sure that our goods are moving swiftly, smoothly, cost-effectively, um, and that we're saving money where we can. So how has your learning experience been with it since you didn't start off like with the supply chain and the business? How did that transition go for you? So this word is going to come up over and over. Curiosity. So I was always kind of curious. I wanted to know more and more about, you know, the different kind of mechanics behind trade, customs, you know, tariff engineering. So tariff engineering is when we, we can engineer a product for the lowest possible tariff. And we do that all the time at Columbia. So I always kind of wanted to do that. 
And I also wanted to partner. I didn't want to, I, I don't think that what I do or what anybody does in a company like Columbia or Nike, they can't do it in a vacuum, right? You have to partner with people in the business you might not think about in order to kind of achieve some of those, those, you know, savings and opportunities. So I was always just kind of, I, I always like to look at an org chart and see who's doing what, who's reporting to who, you know, I'm always kind of curious about different parts of how a company is structured. So um, I just asked a lot of questions and, you know, I volunteered for projects that seemed a little scary, but that I thought that I could accomplish. So I always, you know, kept some level of curiosity in everything that I did. So would you say that curiosity is like a, like a key aspect for finding that like job that you're super passionate for? Absolutely. It is. You have to have that, you know, especially for people that are coming into their careers and, you know, their first job, that is not going to be your last job unless you really like it, you know, and that's okay too. But honestly, like if you're going to go into an entry-level position, that is your place to learn and expand and understand like, what am I doing right now? And how is it impacting the rest of the business? How does it tie into other aspects of the business? It is so important. It will help you stand out. It will help you get noticed because you're not just milling away. Of course, do your job, do it well. But if you're asking questions and, you know, connecting the dots about how your job impacts others, it's, yeah, you can then see, oh, look, that team over there looks really cool. Maybe like I'm doing this now, I'm doing this job now, and I see how I'm interacting with these people, but I actually kind of like what they're doing over there. Let me like talk to some of those people and learn more about what they do. So yeah. And that's one of the benefits I think of working for a bigger company is that you might have a lot of those connections and you might be exposed to many, many different teams and you can kind of see, see what you like through, through that type of networking and interaction. Do you see yourself then um, changing positions or moving with a different company in the future or what are your yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, it's possible, you know, I'm only about seven months into my current position. And so I feel like there's a lot of growth that I have to do right now at my current job, but yeah, it's not out of the question that I would maybe move on to something a little bit different. You know, what I do is very niche and very, you know, it's a very special skill set, which is a good and a bad thing. Um, but, you know, the other thing I don't want to do is be completely pigeonholed. So I'd have to kind of find how can I use my skill set that I have? And maybe it's not my knowledge of customs necessarily, but maybe it's my networking skills or, you know, how I connect the dots between one aspect of the business or another that might take me to that next position. But yeah, so I'm not, I'm definitely not done growing. That's for sure. <laughs> and this conversation we're having right now reminds me a lot of a, com a recent conversation I've had with my mother. Um, my mom just, just had a, um, a job like change where she was working at one position for about four, four or five years. And now she just started a new job at a different location. She's a nurse in um, Southern Oregon. And I kept asking her while she was making this, like, um, or when she was wanting to make this change to a different job, like I kept asking these questions, like, mom, is this, is this what you want to get out of this job? Like, 
Is there any way for you to grow? Um, is this truly getting you where you want to be at? Um, are these, are these, is this job truly checking off these things that you want to check on your checkbox? Like what is your ultimate goal and how do you see yourself getting there? And she had to truly ask herself those like questions, like, is this truly what I want? Is this truly getting me where I want to be at? And, um, I think a lot of it was about growth. And so my mom had all these things that she wants to be like, she's, she's potentially wanting to be a, um, um, a teacher at like a local community college and teach um, young nursing students what she didn't learn when she was in um, nursing school. And I was like, well, this next job will truly get you to where you want to be for that. And mm-hmm. that was that big step for her. So I definitely, I definitely kind of click with what you were talking about in regards to growth. Like you should truly be in a position where you not only see yourself um, thriving at, but you see yourself growing both with your professional life and with your personal life too. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. So I guess my question for you is that like, do you feel what's like your biggest advice for like, it doesn't have to be specifically PSU students, but just students in general who are wanting to either work for Columbia or wanting to have a job within the athletic and outdoor industry? Like, what's your biggest piece of advice for them? Um, there's a few different avenues in, and uh, it can be really, it can be really kind of disheartening sometimes. So the job market of the last year has been a little tricky. Um, but I would say there's a, one thing, don't balk at a contract position. So that's one thing I actually, when I went to Keen Footwear, I started as a contractor and this is actually how this is, I hope that you hear this in your classes. This is how a lot of companies hire entry-level jobs right now. As they start with a contract, they, you know, it might be a limited duration. It's a way that they are going to test you out. So it may not be a direct avenue in, but it's a starting point. Sometimes you can get a direct hire, obviously, but um, that's, it's not, you know, any worse. It's just a really good way to see if you like the culture and if it's going to be a fit. So it's a very, very common practice right now. Um, The other thing is, again, that curiosity. So, you know, learn about the company you're interviewing for have good questions about the brand, you know, it can be your interest in inclusion and diversity. They should be ready to answer questions about that. You know, if that's something that you're curious about, be ready to ask questions. Um, If you're curious about other, you know, sustainability and what they're doing there, be ready to ask questions about that or any other aspect of like a company culture that you're interested in. Um, They wanna know that you're passionate about you know, the industry or the brand that you're going to, that you're looking into. So, and, you know, as a hiring manager, I can tell when someone is, you know, interested or ambivalent about, about being there. (laughs) So would you say those characteristics or, or those things that you were talking about, do you think those are the ways that students like stand out amongst the competition? Cause I know that that industry is broad and it's big. And there's a lot of different avenues that you can go through. So like, are there any like key things that you would say um, that you recommend students to do or things that maybe stand out when you are like hiring or on a hiring team? Don't, don't apply for every position that you see because we can see a record of that. This is a little like technical, but honestly, you know, I've seen people in my, that I've networked with apply for 50 jobs at my company and I can see all of that. And that's not, you're not going to stand out if you're just trying every single job. So be, you know, 
be concise with what you want to apply for. But at the same time, you know, and that kind of helps you to, to focus too on what direction you at least want to start at. You know, I have a lot of, because I'm, I used to actually teach supply chain management at Portland State as well. I had a lot of people who wanted to go into supply chain. Well, there's 50 different things at Columbia that you could do under the guise of supply chain. Supply chain organization is the biggest one in our company. There's probably a thousand people with, you know, hundreds of different jobs. So, you know, you have to get a little bit more specific if you want to, you know, get your foot in the door. That's why, it, and if you're applying for all the supply chain jobs, they're going to think that you don't have like a focus, you know? So I would say be very concise with that. Um, definitely take everyone's advice about the keyword searches. Everything gets scanned first through Taleo or whatever type of HR program that they're using. So make sure that you have your keywords. Um, and then don't be afraid to put, you know, even results of a student project. If you don't have any job experience, you know, what are the results of a project that you worked on? Um, put it on your resume. You know, they want to see results oriented people. So definitely don't, don't be shy to, to put some of your, your student accomplishments on your resume as well. When it got, like you basically kind of just already did answer it, putting some student accomplishments, but how could a student who has the student accomplishments but wants to fulfill that experience that sometimes they are like ask, you have to have five years of experience in this industry or um, five years of work experience in general. How do you like fulfill that when you're trying to get an entry job, yeah. but they're already asking for all that experience? Yeah, try to, if you have, maybe you don't have corporate experience, maybe you have another type of work experience, I would say try anyway. I would not, I would not go to the five to eight year category because they are really looking for five to eight years, but three to five, you can, you can work within that for sure. And I think with the last year, there was definitely a reckoning within our industry as well after the murder of George Floyd and companies not really doing enough um, around inclusion and diversity, any real work around it. I think that they, that companies in general, at least in Portland, are recognizing that part of their DEI work needs to be avenues for career development and different entry points. This is like my big passion and this is why I'm so involved in PSU right now that I think that there needs to be better pathways for students coming out of university. Um, so I think that there's maybe a little bit more leniency in that three to five year in order to really stick to their word of hiring a diverse talent pool. That's just my, that's my two cents. And I'm seeing that a little bit more. And me as a hiring manager, you know, if it's someone who seems really promising, someone who I think, you know, has a lot of potential, you know, you can work within that. Yeah, and I think this is also a great segue to another big question that I definitely wanted to hear your answer from, which is just like, where do you think the future of Columbia is like truly heading in your opinion? And like, do you think that there's any way or 
how do you think potential of like new, new talent coming in can be a part of that future? I think it's critical. Um, you know, our product appeals to a slightly older demographic and it has for a long time, but they're, they've been evolving that over time. So I think there's like two parts to that. There's definitely like the product and the consumer, but there's also the employee. And if they really, this is kind of the way that I think about it. If they really do want to, you know, have diverse voices displayed in their marketing, they should also want diverse voices within their workforce. So I think that they're, you know, our company, Columbia specifically is committing to um, a lot of work around that talent attraction and retention that, you know, is not just pulling from the good old boys club anymore. Um, so I think that will kind of transform product. I think, you know, one of the cool things about, you know, Columbia's product, for example, is like, okay, there's like the run of the mill stuff. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty universal. Columbia, you see it everywhere, but they have allowed their designers who are amazing to do like a few kind of out there pieces every year. And I always buy it, which is pretty awesome. But, you know, they, they do try to sprinkle a few things in there that are a little cool, a little more fashion forward. And I think they're doing a little bit more of that, right? They had, they've had some collaborations with like opening ceremony. They had one, they've had a couple of seasons of Kith that they've done. So they're, you know, trying to connect with, you know, it's more like the retro stuff, but they're trying to connect with like a younger demographic, which I think is cool. Um, they also have to make it a welcoming place to work and they have to make it a welcoming place to work for everybody. So they're doing a lot of, of work around that right now, which I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to see, you know, the top ranks always full of, of the same type of person. And uh, you're seeing that change a little bit, which I think is good. It's a long game. It really is. Um, but I really do think it starts with ushering in a new generation of people with, you know, different, different opinions and different viewpoints. Yeah, that's awesome. How that transition and then how it keeps changing every day. Mm -hmm. But within your 17 years of whole experience, how, how, how have you seen that transition from like job to job as well? <laughs> well, my first, like my first job was like a small, my first like job in this industry was like a three person company. So not much growth. It was a starting point. Then I moved on to the Japanese company and that was very traditional in its own way. You know, it's a 150 year old company and this is the Portland branch. And, uh, you know, again, there was a certain, you know, level I could get to, but that was about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's starting to change. And I think in my subsect too, this is the other thing supply chain logistics is definitely like pretty male oriented and it has been for a long time. Um, but you're starting to see more women leaders emerge in, you know, my neck of the woods too, which is really good. Our chief supply chain officer is a woman. And I think that's really great. And she, she really puts a huge emphasis on hiring a very diverse talent pool, which is really, really great. So you're seeing a little bit more where there's not a lot of opportunities elsewhere, you know, in my specific part of the industry. Um, but 
yes, there's there's more women, there's more people of color, there's more LGBTQ people kind of advancing through the ranks. And that's just really cool to see. So definitely changing over the last five to 10 years for sure. I've definitely seen a, a, uh, a trend when we have talked, when we have spoken with um, uh, like industry leaders like yourself. And um, when we asked the question very similar about like, where do you see the future of this company going? Or um, what's something that you see happening right now as a trend? A lot of them are talking about the same thing you're talking about, about how like this next generation of professionals who are coming out of university and coming out of college are going to be the people who make those changes and are going to be really, you know, like not allowing their voice to not be heard. And that's something that I really, really love that that scene, because I'm definitely one of those people who loves the change that's happening currently, even though it's this process that probably started like, should have started long, long time ago, but it's like, you now have these people who are not, not allowing it not to happen kind of a thing. And I love that even, even like Stephanie and I, like there's, we like having those conversations with those people and like allowing our student body and our um, audience to hear that this change is happening. And it also gets like our, like our, um, the school of business kind of like riled up and excited about it too. And it just, it makes me overjoyed to hear that that's this, that this common topic is coming up in our conversations that we're having with leaders in um, these big industries like like Columbia and athletic outdoor industry. It also provides a lot of hope for um, students like Stephanie and I who are about to graduate in the next year, and that there is um, there is oh there's still something out there for us to have, and that we can still make that mark in this world, which makes us at least me very very excited. That's for sure. Yeah, I kind of see it as a long game, you know structural biases are still there. Um, you see it in every corporate structure. And so you just kind of have to work with what you can control in that, you know, I'm finally, you know, lucky enough to be in a position to hire people. And that's very important to me. So, you know, if I can make a difference with, with, you know, what I can control, then that's really great. And, you know, I actually have been doing DEI work at Columbia since 2016 and, um, you know, have kind of seen it evolve quite a bit. And I'm still, I'm taking a step back recently because there's so many other people who are kind of running with it right now, but, you know, it's really kind of great to see that building the talent pipeline is one of the most important things for the company right now. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of one of my passions at the moment. If you could change one thing at the moment when it comes to DEI, um, DEI, or what would you, what would you, what would it be, or how would you change it? Like, what's, what's that goal you have? I wish that I could see the top levels of every company really walk the walk. You know, not just put out a statement, but I want to see like concrete change. I want to see every executive take bias training and understand implicit bias and structural racism. Um, I think that's the number one thing. That's been the number one thing for me for a long time. (laughs) And are we talking, we're talking like everybody, right? Like you think this is something that needs to happen everywhere. So. I obviously, or Stephanie and I kind of understand the, the, the reasons behind that, obviously, because we have studied 
um, or have looked at case studies of unethical behavior within um, big, large companies and their um, their decision-making teams and their board of directors and whatnot. But there's a, a part of our audience that isn't, you know, very, um, let's say, uh, educated in things that are happening in um, business. So I guess, could you like explain a little further of why that is so important to you? Well, it's, again, the reason that I call it a long game is because, you know, the people who are ready for the C-suite, that's a very narrow group of people. So it's, if you're building your career over decades, say I might be ready in 10 years and there's going to be a lot more women, people of color, people of diverse backgrounds who are going to be ready in 10, 15 years. But the people who are ready and have been trained for that have all been kind of siloed. You know, they come from a good old, old boys club often. So, you know, and you do see that changing quite a bit. I think Nike, you know, Nike's had its ups and downs, but they have, you know, pretty diverse executive group, um, or at least like at the VP level. <laughs> um, but it just takes time for the good old boys to retire and for other people to have, you know, a window of opportunity to get in. So that just, that structure is there. It's not going away. Um, because there's still people in the talent pipeline. That's why you call it a talent pipeline that are working their way up, but they've been cultivated from a narrow group that's often based on implicit bias. So that's why, that's why we're not seeing change at the top levels as quickly as you can make change, you know, lower down the ranks. Yeah, I think something I just want to point out is I like, I think it's kind of funny, uh, just the reference of like the good old boys club. I've never heard it like that before. And I think it's really funny the way that you're, um, you're phrasing that. Um, I just thought that it was funny to put that out there because I've never heard it referred to it like that before. And I was like, dang, that's actually pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, I'm not, it's, I'm making a pretty big generalization. I know. And there are places where it's changing, but it's just a lot slower. You know, if you follow markets, if you follow public companies, if you follow brands, you know, publicly traded companies have to basically announce when there's executive changes of any sort. If they're hiring a new VP, EVP, something like that, they're going to put out a, a statement. And it's interesting to track, you know, what kind of people are getting appointed into those newsworthy titles. I guess like on this topic of conversation, I guess I'm just curious on what your opinion is of um, these big companies putting out statements that are like not true or like they are say that they're making changes, but they're truly not like how, what is your opinion on that? Cause I, I, mm, well, I there's, <laughs> there's making statements and then there's like performative things that if you think back to that you know, the Me Too movement or, you know, last year when everyone was putting up the black square, the black square was an action, right? It was a performative act. And, um, you know, you do really want to watch. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily false statements, but sometimes this stuff takes time. So you really want to kind of look into, okay, you've made the commitment. Where's the action plan? Can you find it on the website? Can you find a follow-up on the website? You know, and these are the types of things, if you re- if this is something that you truly value, um, you can and should be able to do the research on that, especially at a public company. So, um, 
some companies are a little more quiet about it than others, but even Colombia, who's usually apolitical in a lot of ways, um, have really kind of put themselves out there and have made the commitment, put it into their corporate responsibility report as, you know, action items going forward. So um, it's, it's interesting to kind of see that, you know, making a statement on Instagram is not the same as, you know, putting out a multi-step, multi-year plan. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you have to do a little research. Um, but yeah, you, it's, I think, you know, if anyone's going to hold people accountable, it's consumers who really care about that and think, and that's part of like shopping with your, you know, with your values in mind. So, um, yeah, it takes a little extra legwork, but it's worth it. I think. Definitely. And I saw it too a lot now with Pride Month in June. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies posting on their social medias or putting up a flag outside the store. And then coming July 1st, they just take everything down. It's, it's yeah. all gone. And it's just like, why would you put it up there if you're not really supporting it? And it's not yeah. a trend that just happens like, oh, we're, let's just put the flag up there and say we support them and, and really not. And I feel like too, it all starts in the education system too mm-hmm. um because a lot of times like they're, when they're trying to make group projects or just start a community or a student organization they're like oh we want diverse direct um leadership mm-hmm. and then when you see there's only like one person of color and the rest are dominate dominated by something else and it's just like hey i feel like it all starts within your school but starting with middle school because that's when a lot of student organizations start and like leadership and then that same trend follows on to high school and college and by the time they you hit college you're like yeah our school's really diverse our school this our school that and then as a person of color you go in there and I'm like okay where's the diversity I'm not seeing it yeah in Oregon specifically that's uh you know a a reality just because it's a very undiverse state for a lot of horrible reasons. <laughs> yeah, but kind of on that, I was I was totally thinking about the same thing that Stephanie was talking about. Like, I remember going to the mall and I was seeing, I can't remember what, what, what brand it was, but like in their display case, it was all like all these different colors, happy pride month and all this stuff. And then like, I remember going there maybe like a couple weeks later and like everything was gone. And I kept like, I remember like saying something to my parents. I'm just like, that is just so disheartening knowing that these, these like big brands are just putting up a front because they have to, like they have to do it. Like I have to support black lives matter or I don't get, I don't get consumers to buy my product. Um, I have to put something in the, in the window because it's pride month, just because I don't want to lose that consumer. Like like, you know, just be honest, honestly, and tell us whether or not you truly, you know, like you really believe this or not, because it's going to come off as fake either way. And people are going to see through that. Um, and I really, my hope is that as we, you know, make these changes, as this new generation comes into these professional positions, is that we call to order this like transparency from companies and from executives, you know, tell us what you truly think. Like, we don't want you to put up a front for us just because you feel like you have to. Like, we're going to call you out on your BS either way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That just like kind of got me going. And I was like, it's so disheartening to see that. It truly is. People can see through it. All the memes of all the ridiculous pride month stuff, you know, it's, that's just commonplace now. Okay. 
what random junk is going to have a flag on it this time, you know, and it, it got, got pretty extreme <laughs> this year. Um, yeah. So that that's just something else to suss out about a company you want to work for is like, okay, how genuine are they in this, in their, you know, in their attempts to attract certain types of consumers? It's, it's really, you know, important. So I proudly can say that Columbia, you know, I've, I know where the, the pride group started and it is employees who are passionate about that, who bootstrapped it for a very long time to get a t-shirt made, to get into the parade. Um, you know, it's all, we do have a lot of employee resource groups that focus on different aspects of DEI and they have a kind of a coalition. Um, and pride was the first one and it's been around for a decade. So just started by one employee who really wanted, you know, some, <laughs> some t-shirts out there and to be able to donate to a cause through t-shirt sales, just at our employee store. And now it's kind of grown to a year round product that we carry in all of our stores. So it's pretty cool. Sometimes you don't know the story either of, of where, uh, you know, something like that, like that comes from, but I'm just glad at least at Columbia that the, the origins of it are completely genuine and I just love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Cause like I, as mentioned before, you see it with companies, they think that it's part of a trend or like Miranda was saying that you have to do it because we want to keep this consumer going, but um, it's that genuine thought coming into it. And I feel like that's how companies grow in general too. Like if you're genuine about the cause and you keep going at it, not just because it's a certain month or a certain week, um, consumers are going to be like, yeah, they're, like they're, they're there for the right reason. So I'm going to keep supporting them for the right reasons as well. Absolutely. I guess my question for you is how do you feel about young professionals during that like hiring process of them using that as an opportunity to ask those questions? Like, do you believe that you are a genuine, genuine on this or genuine on that? Like, how do you feel about young professionals calling that out in a professional setting? Because I know, or like in an interview with some sort when like the last part of the interview where they ask you, like, do you have any questions for us kind of thing? Because I know a big thing for me is that I want to work for a company where I feel comfortable. Like if I see something that I feel like does not like align with my morals, like I'm out of there. Like I'm not going to put up with something like that, or I'm going to say something about it because I can't sit around and watch it happen. Because then I, I feel, I feel obligated that to question something. a little bit differently. Um, but I think it's a good thing to ask, I, you know, I would ask, you know, a few questions about, um, what the DEI efforts are both within the organization, uh, as well as externally, you know, market facing. So what, and actually you can, I think you can get to the root of it as you know, what is it, what are you doing within the company to bolster diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, that can be a really good way to kind of start and frame the question. Um, and that should tell you a lot, you know, especially if they're doing internal work, if they're doing work within their four walls, um, you know, and you can maybe steer the questions towards that because that's going to tell you a lot about whether or not the external facing stuff is genuine. And that's good to know. Um, and then also just asking those questions is always good 
and then to see that like future or like to get those starting steps to as the new generation comes in um it starts applying for those jobs asking those questions like sometimes might put the company in spot too like oh hey like we really really haven't thought about that but like thank you for mentioning it and we can like change it and they see how like the younger generation or this future generation is truly passionate about it and that's how they can start making that change as well I expect it. I expect it in an interview now. I expect those questions. I welcome those questions. <laughs> I always, when sometimes like before an interview, I always like have like a little notebook that I always put like my questions in before an interview. And I like, I keep it in my bag when I come in um, for an interview and I always like pull it out, like right before it. And like, just showing them like, Hey, I do have questions for you. I do want to know things. And I want to understand more of your company because, you know, when you work for somebody, it's supposed to not just be a fit for them. It's supposed to be a fit for you too. Mm -hmm. Like you want to find something that's best for both parties. Mm -hmm. And I know, like I said earlier, something that's really important to me when I work for um, a company or when I work for somebody, I like, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Like Mm -hmm. I want you to, I want to make sure that our morals are aligned with whatever we're looking for. And I want to make sure that I'm going to be happy just as much as you're going to be happy with me as your employee. So I love coming in with questions. And sometimes I do use it as a platform to say like, Hey, like, let's figure out like if we are on the same page and I'm not sure some of the interviews I've had where I like, like somebody who's interviewing me will like kind of look at me like, Hmm, I wasn't expecting you to ask me that question. I'm kind of a little caught off guard there. And then I kind of, I almost kind of like look back and see like, Hmm, should I have really asked that question? And then I feel like, cause it's like, you don't want to one wrong step can or one wrong word or one wrong question can truly get you not where you want to be at. So yeah. sometimes as a young professional in, especially a job market, like it is now, it's, you kind of have to like, you know, question yourself, like, is this something I want to take a risk on? Is it not? And that's kind of hard to think about too. I would say it's important to figure out how to ask the questions in a way that you're going to get a good answer that um, doesn't really put them on the spot in a way. I mean, maybe a little bit, but yeah. So I would say, think about how you ask the question to get the answer that that will satisfy you. Well, is there anything that you want to tell the future generation or like the people who are about to graduate from college or any advice that you have for them in general when looking for jobs or when like when looking what to do what what to do on their next steps it can take time and it can take time to get into the job that you want um don't be afraid to reach out to you know jennifer nolfi has put together such an amazing network of people um, don't be afraid to ask for help or ask for an introduction. Um, you know, maybe it's not the right person right away, but they might be able to get you to the right person to ask. Um, don't be afraid of an informational interview. Um, that's a really good way, even before a formal interview to see if it's the right type of place that you want to pursue. You know, that's a good place to ask some of those little more, you know, um, probing questions, right? Um, and that also, you know, kind of gets you a little bit of recognition too, if you've reached out and, and networked a little bit. 
don't be afraid of that. Um, yeah. So just don't be afraid to use your network. And honestly, the network that you are building in the program right now is also extremely valuable. So past students, current students, instructors, the board, um, Jennifer, the director, she's, she's amazing. So it's a very valuable network to be a part of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for being here. Uh, I know before we kind of wrap up, I did want to provide you an opportunity to, you know, put any final last words to our audience. Uh, if you had any or any advice, I don't know, whatever you want to do, but I did want to provide you that opportunity to kind of finish up this recording however way you wanted to. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I guess the last thing I have to say is the athletic and outdoor program is such a cool opportunity and um, such a neat part of the PSU experience. So, you know, for anyone who's curious about the program, you know, there's a lot of ways to find out about it. And um, I highly recommend it just because you're going to learn so lot, so much about such a special industry and I encourage everyone to check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Emily. And for everybody listening in, we will definitely be linking uh, all the athletic and outdoor industry um, stuff in our um, bio and in the description here. So make sure you take a look at that. But again, thank you so much, Emily. We have really appreciated you having, having you on the Talk Business With Me podcast. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions from our audience who are going to want to connect with you. So thank you again. And everybody who's listening, we hope you enjoyed and hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in another episode of the Talk Business With Me podcast. A special shout out to our amazing producer, Stephen, our advisor, Nathaniel, and our two hostesses, Miranda and Stephanie. With that said, this episode wraps up our third season. Follow us on Instagram to keep an eye out for our fourth season coming soon. Thank you.